Hello and welcome to the IT Governance Technology and Media Podcast, Client X, Episode 2, Client X in the Physical Technology Sector, Hardware. Hi there, my name is Dan and welcome to Episode 2, I'll be hosting today. Um, Before we get to the start of the show, Zach, we have a question from last week. Uh, We'll just revisit that now and give you guys the answer to. Zach, could you please repeat the question? Last week, we went over the NIS directive and how it's transposed into UK law as the Network and Information Systems Regulations, NIS regulations, on the 10th of May 2018, and how it aims to achieve a high common level of network and information system security across the EU. You can find out more about the NIS regulations at itgovernance.co.uk slash NIS hyphen directive. So the question was, according to these new regulations as a data center or a cloud service provider, are you a DSP? And what are the three categories listed as DSPs under this new regulation? So the answer to the question is the onus is on the organizations to determine for themselves whether they are DSPs and are therefore subject to the regulation security and notification requirements. In the UK, DSPs will be required to register with the Information Commissioner's Office or the ICO which has been appointed as the competent authority for regulating DSPs. As for the three categories listed as DSPs under the new regulation, these categories are search engines, cloud computing services, and online marketplaces. If you visit itgovernments.co.uk and have a search for the gap analysis for the NIS regulations, you can find out more about how exactly we can help you manage your compliance in line with the NIS regulations. Okay, great. Thank you, Zach. So since we are here with you, we've got you on the couch today. Could you just introduce yourself to our listeners, please? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Zach Rush. I'm an account manager here at IT Governance. I specialize in the tech and media sector. Uh, ultimately, my role is to identify your uh, client requirements uh, and discuss how IT Governance can then help you to meet those requirements. Okay, great. Thank you, Zach. So today we're going to be talking about uh, physical hardware and what that means, what we think it is. So let's just flesh that out a little bit. What What is physical hardware as a, a subsector of technology and media, Zach? Uh, yeah, so as opposed to software as a service where the service itself is digital, it, you know, ultimately it's created online, it's for uh, clients to see via a browser or various uh, online aspects. Physical hardware includes industrial appliances, robotics, consumer products, development tools, engineering, maintenance, and even repair apparatus. Okay, wow. Okay, so let's just say I'm client X and I'm developing a network interface controller or card, an NIC, and this little piece of tech is physically installed into my computer or into the consumer's computer, and it's going to allow that piece of tech to connect to a network Um, and I'm developing that little piece of tech I'm manufacturing it and I'm selling it what kind of compliance challenges will I be facing as a physical hardware organization so the first thing you'll be need to consider is well if if you are manufacturing uh, NIC um, products then ultimately you're going to be needing 9001 that's probably going to be the very first step you're going to be looking at mostly because you want to make sure that the process you go through to ensure your NIC cards are exactly the same from one card to the next and that that card that you're, or uh, control that you're creating is um, is robust, it's secure, it's safe, and it's, it's kept up to date. It goes through a process of being uh, updated, etc. It's part of a quality process. Hence why you'd, straight, the first thing you'd look at is ISO 9001. There are various other standards uh, in regards to or regulations to consider as a manufacturer, but uh, in terms of uh, technology and the fact that what you're providing is a technology product, uh, that will ultimately go into a technology solution or whatever. So in terms of GDPR, personal data probably won't be a, as ma- much of a higher issue, or a higher risk issue for you. You mainly have to worry about your 
your staff data and your supplier third-party data, anyone you work with, because ultimately your NIC is going to be, the way in which data is processed on that NIC is um, actually going to be looked after and maintained by your clients who use that NIC on their services they provide. Okay, so if I'm producing that NIC card, how aware do I need to be of the other elements in the machines that my product is going into, if at all? Yeah, yeah, so uh, unlike software as a service clients where their service they provide is entirely digital, uh, it may be done. It may be created by physical people. It may be created in an office. But what's delivered is actually online. In terms of the hardware side of things, you have to consider the fact that the service you provide or the the, the products you provide are physical. So maybe you set up printers, or maybe you uh, and you know the printers are yours, or even they're outsourced from third party, and you bring them in and you set them up. You same with computers, same with servers. The point is you're dealing with physical physical things. And you want to make sure that those are set up in in the right way. If you're going to be if you're going to be uh, setting up, building, uh, installing uh, devices that are uh, in a, in a very transparent manner, uh, having something like a QMS, a quality management system against nine thousand and one ISO nine thousand and one, would be a very good way to show what well, a very um, effective way to show uh, clients that you've already got a process for this, and you do it the same way for every client, and you apply that process the same way. Uh, as for uh, GDPR, ultimately for things like GDPR, you may not have to worry too much about it. In terms of you know your internal staff, obviously you've got to worry about that for GDPR, as well as the clients you work with and their their details as as clients, as even as suppliers. But what's important is that uh, you know ultimately these devices you're installing, you're not going to be maintaining it afterwards. It's not for you to then look after. It's for your clients to then take care of, and that's for their GDPR compliance to, um, to to take over at that point in terms of responsibility for the personal data. Okay, great. Would you say that GDPR is my primary concern then as client X in this scenario? I would say no. GDPR isn't the primary concern. It's, it's obviously a concern. It's one of the many concerns you'll have, you'll have to consider. But um, I would say that realistically, you want to be as transparent as possible with your clients, the way in which you put, the world, the way in which you deliver your service. And if your service is to install to uh, even create even to produce physical devices um, that are used for technolo- as technology solutions then you need to be clear with how you're producing that and that they're standardized so then you've got nothing to nothing for the client to go oh i'm not too sure how, you know sh- should i be worried about the way in which you're doing that if you've got that process in place then there's nothing to worry about okay great and if i want to manage my all of my people my processes and my technology all in one place uh, and deliver that transparency how can IT governance help me do that? So whether it's ISO standards, uh, even cyber essentials, just making sure that you know your, your company as a whole is, is secure when you're creating, developing, um, R&Ding, you know these products, basically getting to the point where um, before you even go out and deliver it, you know that you've got a product that's secure, it's ready to go. There's not going to be any any chance of um, a hacker even uh, piggybacking onto a service or anything like that. You you want to make sure that your infrastructure. Uh, and what, you know the way in which you deliver your services are secure. So penetration testing would be one of those, uh, one of the top priorities as well. As of course, what I've discussed already, the ISO twenty seven thousand and one QMS. What's um, what's penetration testing, Zach? The penetration testing uh, is basically ethical hacking. Uh, ultimately, you don't want to have a hacker um, exploit your vulnerabilities on your network or web applications or wireless networks or uh, you know or even do a phishing assessment. Um, sorry, fish, phishing exercise. They, you don't want them to exploit a vulnerability that means your personal data, your client's personal data, your supplier's personal data. It could be financial data. It could be just business data. Gets out into the real world, sold on the dark web, um, sold even to the highest bidder, whatever. The idea is you don't want to have a criminal hacker taking that away. So instead, 
you can hire ethical hackers to try and find the vulnerabilities, explain to you what the remediation advice is to fix them so that you can go ahead and fix them. And that means that ultimately you're providing the most robust, um, um, yeah, robust resilience in place to um, slow down, if not stop hackers from actually uh, getting through your infrastructure. If I do that once, do you think that's gonna be enough or should I sort of schedule routine penetration testing? So doing it once uh, is a good idea, but only doing it once is a bad idea. So um, doing it once, you get a current state of compliance, find out what's going on and go from there. The problem is that there are new vulnerabilities being found out every day, whether that's on current patches or new patches as they come out, whether they are stable patches or not. Um, or, or unstable or not even too sure if they're stable patches. So you wanna make sure you're keeping on top of your compliance by doing regular penetration testing. The problem is that you know, ultimately you, you're gonna have a budget for this sort of thing. So you can't do it every week, but you can at least look at it, even doing once a year is realistic as a minimum. Um, if not doing it every six months quarterly, that's more realistic. And then you can keep on top of the latest vulnerabilities, make sure you're, you don't have any gaps or too many gaps to consider and that way you're doing the best thing for you, yourselves, your clients, etc. Okay, and is there an indication of um, the scale and scope of what would be involved in a penetration test? How, how do I start, how do I make a penetration test happen? Uh, so you've got to consider what you want to protect. So you've got to think that the driver for penetration testing. It's all about protecting uh, well, whatever you want. So if you want to protect, let's say, your intellectual property of your company, or you, and that's on your infrastructure. So yeah, let's say you've got intellectual property in regards to how, uh, you know, and that's saved on your uh, infrastructure, about how you develop your product. Or maybe you've got um, your, all your client data saved on your system for how, where, who you go out to to install printers or to update their devices, etc. The idea is that you want to make sure that those things, those sense, that sense of data, and really the most, you know, the higher risk areas are covered. Now, if that's on your infrastructure, we'll be looking at externally facing IP addresses and testing against those. If, for example, you want to go a step further and make sure your internal is sorted, so nobody can tailgate you onto you into your office, uh, follow you in. Uh, nobody can shoulder surf in terms of passwords and you know try and get in that way. What's important is that you know you, you're basically going out of your way to make sure that internal testing is done. And then you can even do phishing assessment. Maybe, for example, you receive a, a dodgy email and says, please click here, please you know, provide your details. So I will just click on this link and so I can uh, hopefully you know, re you know, run from my country. What's important is that um, the, the link you click on is usually a malware link and uh, will then open up to a hacker to be able to gain access to email servers or even more. And from there, they can spam your clients. They can spam... Uh, internally to get more access and eventually to the point where they can gain full access to your infrastructure purely from one click of an email and that something like a phishing assessment would be able to identify who is not aware of um, good practice of how to uh, avoid uh, putting yourself in a situation where a malware link could be clicked okay so it will identify where I might be vulnerable is that right uh, yeah, so well, for phishing, it's more about awareness. So, um, so penetration testing, we'll look at vulnerabilities. So we'll look at what vulnerabilities exist against CVSS scores. So these are standard common vulnerabilities uh, scores for which are you know, in, uh, internationally recognized and used by all pen testing, well, most pen testing companies. Um, but what's important is that, um, and that, that is given remediation advice to be fixed. So uh, once you fixed it, Though that may be fixed there and then, there may be an update to that vulnerability, a new one or whatever, that needs to be looked at in the future. For phishing, it's all about awareness. You don't want somebody to click on a link uh, that, may be that may put you in a vulnerable position. So that's simply about making sure your staff are aware not to do that. 
or if they see a dodgy link, but it could be even be an internal email. It could be a completely safe email. But if they're at least aware that it could be dodgy, even a safe email could be considered um, malicious. The idea is then that they can go through the necessary process or steps to ensure that they are uh, verifying the email's credentials. So how much time do we think I should pencil in for a regular penetration test? How long is this gonna take? Uh, that would depend entirely on your scope. We have a standard package on the website, uh, which looks at up to 20 externally facing IP addresses, and you're looking at 1795, pretty straightforward really. Uh, and that will usually take about, well, up to a day to test with a day report, report writing. That's usually how it works. Um, but you could have less than, much less than 20. You could have one or two IP addresses, or you could have a thousand. You know, there's anything and everything in between. The idea, though, is based on the number of IP addresses, we would then provide you a quote that's relevant to that. If, however, you uh, need web application testing or you need explo exploitation, you need to, you know, manual testing, not just manual, but manual scripting to um, really determine what's actually going on, going to just that extra level of detail, we can get senior level testers involved and really, really hash out what's going on with your infrastructure, web applications, wireless networks, internal infrastructure. Uh, there's various aspects we can, we can consider. Okay, so there'll be a qualified penetration tester as part of that scoping conversation at the very top. Yep, our penetration testers are CRT qualified, uh, Crest registered uh, testers. So they've gone through the necessary exams. They also may even have other qualifications, whether that's offensive security or even uh, CPSA in regards to cyber essentials. They may have, they'll likely have a whole range of qualifications that be relevant to ultimately trying to find vulnerabilities that hackers would otherwise be trying to exploit. So if we can find them first and help you to fix them, that's what it's all about. Okay, so as an organization in the physical hardware realm, what do you think I need to be concerned about long term? Like, how do I future proof my organization, do you think? So in terms of making sure hackers don't get access to, you know, what you're doing or how you're doing it, uh, in terms of the data you're, well, the, the you know, different types of data you may be processing, penetration testing, I'd say, is the uh, best place to start. On top of that, managing processes, procedures, making sure that really you're standardizing the approach for how you uh, work with every client in regards to the services you provide, ISO 9001 would be the next step. Uh, in regards to GDPR specifically, you've got the technical measures of penetration testing, the organizational measures of a management system for ISO 9001 that, that can be extended and integrated to ISO 27001 and even BS 10012, which is two standards, ISO 27001 for information security, and BS 10012, which is the personal information management system standard. So both of those will help you to then hash out and make sure you're uh, in a place that uh, looks after GDPR effectively. Okay, so let's say I understand around 80% of what you just said. How can I, how can I investigate what those things mean and, and find more information and, and contact you directly? So, uh, I, mean, for, I mean, for one thing, you can get in touch with itgovernance.co.uk, go to the Ask an Expert form, and then one of the account managers like myself can uh, start talking to you about what you're doing, how you're doing it, and the way you're doing it, and the things you could be doing better. Um, if a consultant needs to be getting involved, we can get them involved as well. However, in regards to what you could get started in the meantime, we do have a product on our website for, for example, gap analysis tools. Um, for example, GDPR gap analysis tool looks at 10 focus areas of which around, that's all around personal data. And you can start going through that yourself, trying to identify, you know, what, what areas are GDPR looking at? What, what's interesting about you know, what personal data is going on, identifying where it is in the system, um, how it's processed, how it enters your organization, exits it, pro it's processed within the organization, and also how it's processed with third parties. So it's all about, you know, really identifying what's going on in the organization, working out that data flow, 
and then determining at which points in that data flow to apply DPIAs or data protection impact assessments that would best then best uh, me, uh, manage your impact and risk to that uh, to any of those risks that are identified. We also have a data flow mapping tool, which means you can actually obviously map the data flows in the organization, help you to identify the highest risk areas, apply DPIAs, and uh, also that all of that's uh, demoed on YouTube as a free video. Okay, so everything Zach just mentioned we'll make sure is nice and accessible in the resource links for the episode. And Zach, if I do contact you, um, can you make sure to walk me through it very slowly? Um, help me understand what this is at the top in simple terms and then sort of make progress from there. Is, is it going to be easy? So for me, it's going to be very, very easy. But at the same time, you know, if you're going to be speaking to a subject matter expert, you know, somebody who consultants or whether they're a specialist in the teams or for, you know, data flow mapping tool, GDPR, pen testing, whatever is necessary, you know, I can get you introduced to any one of them uh, if need be. But what's important is if you do rely on us as a consultancy company, these guys, they, they work with businesses in every sector. And we even have consultants who specialise in tech and media sectors. Um, and what's important to understand is that the consultants, having worked with various different organisations, have worked with different experiences. They, you know, they understand that some people go in going, I've got a good idea what's going on, talk to me like I know what I'm talking about. While there's other people who go in and say, I have no idea what I'm doing, I don't know what you want from me, where can we go from here? And we deal with a whole range of different educations, lack of educations, competencies, whatever's necessary. Uh, so that way, if, if you're in that situation, we can walk you through it step by step. All right, perfect. Thank you, Zach. This week's question for the audience, if you're developing a fingerprint or iris scanner for consumers, how should your product be prepared to manage the data it extracts or transmits? We'll give you the answer to that question next week, so please do subscribe or check back regularly for new episodes. Thank you for listening to the IT Governance Technology and Media Podcast, Client X. For further information regarding any of the products and solutions mentioned in this episode, please visit itgovernance.co.uk and select Technology and Media as the market sector of your organisation. You can then speak to one of our sector specialists directly, including Zach himself. You can also download any number of our free and tailored resources.